The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The negotiations now are underway to finish up the appropriation bill so there's no government shutdown. Vaccine mandates are much easier to do at the state level than at the federal level. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. We've seen some damage to the credibility on how poorly the U.S. did predicting that Taliban takeover. The country has moved from a weariness with COVID to a resignation and that somehow we're going to get through it. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And we join you from the nation's capital, stuck here in the grip of great symbolism this first week of the new year. On one side, a COVID state of emergency is declared in the state of Maryland. On the other, gridlock traffic on 95 in Virginia. Gridlock. Some people forced to spend the night in their cars. Thousands of others without power after the big winter storm this week and Well, we're stuck in the middle here inside the bubble, COVID central, where President Biden is trying to manage Omicron, promising more access to testing today. And Senator Joe Manchin is back pouring more cold water on the Build Back Better plan. We'll talk about both coming up with Congresswoman Gwen Moore, Democrat from Wisconsin, member of the House Progressive Caucus. Later, we're joined by Brett Bruin of the Global Situation Room, his top five global risks of 2022. And we have the signature panel today. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis will be with us for the hour. Lawmakers returning to Washington, D.C. The Senate back in town this week. We're still waiting for the House based on what we heard today from the gentleman from West Virginia. He's back. They have not been working on the president's Build Back Better plan the way some reports suggested over the holidays. Senator Joe Manchin was asked about this whole conversation, Build Back Better, picking up the pieces, what kind of a version he might support as we go forward. And he talked about it outside of his office today. Here's Senator Manchin. I'm really not going to talk about Build Back Better anymore because I think I've been very clear on that. There is no negotiations going on at this time. Okay, And there's an awful lot of things that had a lot of... uh, a lot of things that were, were very, uh, 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 I think, well-intended. And there was a, a lot of things that was pretty far reach on some things in the most delicate times that we have right now. And our country is divided. And I don't uh, tend to do anything that divides our country anymore. So whatever I can do to unite and bring people together, and that means you have to work harder as you work across the aisle to bring people together. How about it? Since he's not talking about it anymore. Asked if the White House had plans to re-engage with Senator Manchin, Press Secretary Jen Psaki today says they're keeping those engagements and conversations quiet. And that is where we begin today with Congresswoman Gwen Moore, Democrat from Wisconsin, serves as the whip for the Congressional Black Caucus and, of course, as a member of the Congressional uh, Make That the House uh, Progressive Caucus. Congresswoman, welcome. You're, as I mentioned, a member of the Progressive Caucus. At one time, you were promised that the Senate would vote on human infrastructure before hard infrastructure. You were later told the two would be voted on together. Today, based on what we're hearing from Joe Manchin, 
there is no clear path forward this morning. Are, are you disappointed or, or is angry a better word? Well, you know, it's really clear to me, just listening to that clip that you shared uh, with us, that he really is, uh, that Joe Manchin is really struck with a conflict of values. As a Democrat, he certainly recognizes uh, the need to invest uh, in the lowest wage workers. Uh, He certainly knows the value of investing in our children. Every so-called civilized country, OECD countries, have some sort of basic child allowance. Really, you know, know, newsflash, kids have better health outcomes or better educational outcomes. You produce a better, more skilled workforce. That, that, that there's no news in that. And coming from Wisconsin, I come from a state that really was home to the very first kindergarten. And um, we were really proud of that innovation. The science is in. Six years old is just too daggone old to start educating your workforce. Joe Manchin knows that. But he is caught in a crossfire of values with regard to um, Republicans who don't want to spend any money on people. Uh, well, does it make you think that Build Back to... Better is dead, Congresswoman? And, and as a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, what do you tell Joe Manchin when he says this will only increase the national debt and increase inflation? Well, you know, what I what I say to him is that I want him to do some more. Like, you know, he demands some truth in calculating, and I would, too. You know, I, I listened to uh, uh, McCarthy the uh, the the Kevin minority McCarthy. leader in the House yeah. debate for eight hours and thirty two minutes. That was a long uh, night, wasn't it? That was a long night about inflation, and not one time did he mention the pandemic. And we know that the pandemic is driving a lot of our supply chain problems, our inflation problems. Not to mention the antitrust sort of. Uh, yeah, allegations that might be out there with regarding the huge spike in the cost of meat, something entirely unrelated to the uh, to the rounding error uh, that the child tax credit provides. While at the other, while at the other end of it, we've reduced child poverty by about forty percent. I mean, truly transformational. Um, what makes yeah, you think you can I, get around his opposition, though, to get something done? Or are you moving on? It does seem no, like no, Democrats you know, are, are moving on to voting rights, Congresswoman. Well, you know, you know it, it, moving on, we've never left voting rights. But Joe Manchin has really come to has to come to grips with his values. He is a Democrat. He says that he's not going to change. Crazy. Yeah. We are the party that looks out for regular, ordinary people. Uh, you know, he gets great tax breaks, Joe Manchin does, from his investments uh, in, in the energy and fossil fuel field. Why shouldn't an ordinary American with, with struggling kids, one fourteen growing out of his shoes every year, needing baseball equipment, and another one who's five years old, why shouldn't they get a supplement every month to recognize that yeah. the work of rearing healthy young people is, is part of it? And it's not just that. Bill Back Better has uh, provisions for child care. I mean, the loss of people in the workforce, that was a woman's story. But he doesn't uh, support, of course, the extension of the child tax credit. And, and Joe Manchin is a big obstacle in the Senate 
when it comes to voting rights as well. And I would like to hear from you on that. He says he doesn't want to change the rules around the filibuster, which based on from where I'm uh, sitting, based on where I'm sitting, I should say, uh, makes this uh, a deal breaker. Right. How do you keep this debate voting rights going from the same way as build back better when it comes to Joe Manchin? Well, again, he does have a D behind his name. Yep. So, you know, hope springs eternal. <laughs> uh, we've seen, you know, people like to hearken to the days of LBJ when he had huge majorities in the Senate and in the House uh, when, when he passed the first Civil Rights Act. So this will be even more momentous. And we're riding on uh, on not just the spirit of John Lewis and, and, and others who have come before us, but we want the American people to realize what kind of jeopardy they're in. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or young or elderly and can't. This is a threat to our democracy. And Can it pass without changing the filibuster in the Senate, though? It's it's worth changing the filibuster. They've changed it for judges. They've changed it for they've changed it just recently so that uh, Senator Lee could debate some abstract uh, amendment that wasn't going anywhere. I mean, they changed the filibuster just as a, a professional courtesy to another senator. Right. So why couldn't they change it for voting rights? Again, I don't have the answers, but these are the questions that we're asking uh, today, uh, Congresswoman. And I want to get to the matter of COVID with you because it is changing our lives again. Uh, I see Milwaukee public schools are transitioning to virtual learning the rest of this week. A lot of questions are being asked about where this pandemic is going. Testing remains a major challenge. The president spoke about it today once again, and I'm speaking with you from my own COVID quarantine, Congresswoman. I guess the question out there right now is, is this the new reality that we need to start getting our heads around, that we'll all get the virus eventually and the vaccines will keep us from being more severely ill? Well, I can tell you that, uh, you know, we have a regular flu season uh, and I'm sure that uh, this flu was named something before it just became the whole hum regular flu. I do think we're going to get to a point where this is endemic. And, uh, you know, and I have a, a, you know, I have a relative who is a bio uh, chemist. And he says that, you know, this, again, is part of our uh, lack of balance between ourselves and nature. Yeah. We talk about climate change, but we're also encroaching upon the territory of, of other sorts of species where we shouldn't be doing it. And it's important to be mindful of our environment. So part of our shift uh, in preserving the environment uh, has got to be considering the sort of pandemics uh, that we're going to experience. I think that we're, 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 we're glad that we have talented scientists. Sure. And I think that the, that the real step is really convincing people uh, not to be stuck on stupid and not to be uh, <laughs> ideologically committed to something that was no scientific basis at all. I mean, you know, uh, you uh, have it. It, it pains me to see every unnecessary death. Well, I hope that everyone stays safe in your district and, of course, here uh, in the Capital Region. What was it? Don't be stuck on stupid. Congresswoman That's Gwen right. Moore, Democrat from Wisconsin with the bumper sticker, to start off our program. Congresswoman, thank you for your time and your insights. And we'd love to stay in touch with you as we navigate the agenda for the new year. We assemble the panel coming up on Bloomberg Sound On. Jeannie Shantano and Rick Davis with us for the hour. So stay here. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Don't be stuck on stupid. The line from Congresswoman Gwen Moore of Wisconsin. I'm going to start using that around the house, I think. I like it. Campaign will inevitably make that their slogan, right? We're glad you joined us as we look for direction on just about anything that Democrats are planning for the new year. But then Joe Manchin happens, as was the case again today. God, it's like we never left, huh? Welcome back to the bubble. Grab your shovel for snow this time. As we reassemble the panel today, our signature panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Great to have you both with us. I wonder what your thoughts were, Jeannie, as Gwen Moore called into question, it seemed at least, uh, that D after Joe Manchin's name every time I asked her about him. Nothing's changing. It doesn't seem he's budging. He's not, and he's not going to, and Democrats can't be surprised by that. I think the one thing that surprised me today was that the White House and apparently leadership in the Senate and the House have not been negotiating with Joe Manchin. That, to me, is a challenge. And Joe Manchin said today they can get something done on climate change. That unites both Manchin and the progressives in the House. Mm -hmm. They should do that. But to not be talking at this point and to let this idea that they're still going to vote on this thing go on is, to me, really a big problem for Democratic leadership. Uh, Not surprised, I'm sure, uh, Rick Davis. You've been pointing us back to the memo uh, from last summer all along here. It just makes you wonder if it's if it's not build back better. He says, I'm not even talking about it, uh, as you heard in his cut a little earlier this hour. If it's not voting rights and he says we're not changing the filibuster for that, then what are Democrats doing this year? Well, uh, there is some effort to try and start negotiating these appropriations bills and go through some regular order on the budget. Uh, I think that would be a good use of their time, since that's something that they can frame and shape policy, since they are in the majority of these committees and they've got 12 of these appropriations bills to do. It's plenty of work to keep them busy. Uh, But I, I really don't understand why they continue to beat the dead horse on these two issues of voting rights and build back better. It's pretty clear. And it's not just Manchin. Kristen Sinema has said she's not going to vote for a filibuster. There are other Democrats who are concerned about breaking the filibuster rule. Remember, it was Harry Reid who did it initially in 2013 that opened the door for Mitch McConnell to do it with Supreme Court justices. So this once you open that Pandora's box, it's going to it's going to unleash all kinds of problems downstream. Let's hear from both ends of Pennsylvania Avenue here on Sound On. We'll start with Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, who was asked about exactly what we're discussing here. Where is this conversation going anywhere? Have you guys been in touch over the holidays? Here's Jen Psaki. We're working in lockstep with Leader Schumer on that, on getting voting rights done. Uh, he's obviously put out a timeline for that. We're going to work with him on getting that done. Okay, pretty straightforward. Remember the timeline, of course, for... Build Back Better was Christmas, but who's counting at this point in January? Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, speaking as well to this, not Build Back Better, but, well, a little bit of both. It's voting rights, though, that he seems to be leaning into. This is 
Senator Schumer uh, in, in the corridors of the Senate today? There are many different proposals out there, and our caucus is discussing them. There have been lots of serious discussions, frankly, with Senator Manchin uh, on different proposals, and he's entertaining them. Uh, he hasn't. I don't want to give people the illusion that he said he'd be for any of them at this point. It's a <laughs> well, long, hard struggle. Yeah, that's but we are engaging in that struggle with the hope that we can all come together because of the reasons that were cited here. Our democracy is at risk. It sounds like Build Back Better all over again, Jeannie, when you hear Senator Schumer talking, talking almost as a spokesperson uh, for Joe Manchin. But this is what we're leaning into here. Now, the House already passed something, right? Is there a, is there a conversation happening about maybe creating a more palatable bill? There should be. You know, Rick Scott was on Bloomberg earlier talking about voting rights and saying there was some room to maneuver. So while the filibuster may not, you know, be the avenue to go, what about talking about a voting rights bill that can bring a number of Republicans on? There seems to be some way to do that. And yet I'm not sure at this point if those conversations are going forward, because the reality reality is, without Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, we're not going to see a change on filibuster. We should pass voting rights legislation. There should be bipartisan support for at least a modest bill in that regard. And that's what I would wish that Democrats in the Senate would focus on. How do you answer that as a Republican, Rick? That's not a real conversation this year, or, or is it some version of voting rights that is somehow bipartisan? Yeah, I can't imagine getting to 60 votes. I, I mean, it's one thing to have a few Republicans who do support some of the changes, federal changes in voting rights or campaign finance reform, which is right, also yeah. part of that bill. Uh, but getting 10 Republicans to do it, um, that's that's a stretch. Uh, I don't I don't see that there are 10 Republicans willing to cross party lines. And, and by the way, this has never been billed as a bipartisan bill. There have been discussions with Republican senators over it. But the idea of this administration embracing it as a bipartisan negotiation where Republicans are sitting at the table crafting this bill has not been done to date. Seems to me, Jeannie, that this week we're going to be marking the, the January 6th uh, anniversary. Uh, this would be the time to get the momentum on something like this, right? This is why we're hearing uh, more talk about it as lawmakers return to town. That's right. And that's what the administration hopes to do on Thursday. We're going to hear from the president and the vice president apparently Thursday morning at the Capitol. And they're going to be talking about the importance of this issue and obviously ensuring something like that never happens again. And also talking about the need for voting rights. But Unless they can do this in a bipartisan fashion in the way they did hard infrastructure, you're not going to see it pass. We feel like we've seen this movie. We're going to talk to Rick and Jeannie again a little bit later this hour coming up as we look into the year ahead. Brett Bruin joins us with his annual Top 5 Global Risks. And the call is coming from inside the house. We'll talk with them next on Sound On. Stay with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. 
When you think of the top risks, the number one risk facing the U.S. in this new year, you might consider things like, well, COVID, I guess, to start, maybe China or Russia. And some of those are included in Brett Bruin's annual top list of global risks, but they don't top the list, not number one. You might be surprised by what does. Brett will join us coming up from the Global Situation Room. Brett Bruin worked as head of global engagement in the Obama White House before that as a diplomat with field experience in Iraq and Venezuela, among other hot spots. He is now president of the Global Situation Room, a consulting firm that specializes in crisis management services. He's out with his annual top five global risks of 2022, and I had to know what was on there. Brett, welcome back. It's great to have you. As I mentioned earlier, your number one risk would suggest the call is coming from inside the House. It is, and it's not one I made lightly, but ultimately I think the problem-prone process of Joe Biden's foreign policy tops my list of global risks. Yeah, number one, it says Biden. So he is his own greatest risk. He is, and we've seen a number of um, major stumbles in his first year. Afghanistan, uh, top amongst them, obviously going to continue to be a source of instability and just a major headache for European allies as immigrants uh, flood out of the country, not to mention, obviously, the terrorism risk. And that leads us to the second on the list, which is Afghan refugees. We spent time, uh, I guess it was, gosh, last week, how quickly time goes by, but leading up to the New Year's, reviewing the big stories of the year, and a lot of things that fell off the front pages, Brett, including Afghanistan. There are so many questions that remain unanswered about whether this will eventually become a a risk to the U.S. by way of uh, being a platform for terrorism. What will become of women and girls who we told were in great danger? What will become uh, of our former allies there who helped us uh, prosecute that war for the better part of 20 years? Afghan refugees specifically, though, make number two on your list. How come? They do, because I think they will uh, represent both from a humanitarian standpoint as well as a security standpoint uh, major challenges. And this ties back to number one, the inability of this administration to come to terms with it. They really have sought over the last several months trying to sweep it under the rug and to do some uh, symbolic gestures, but we're not seeing the substantive stuff. We're not seeing a strategy that is commensurate. I guess we need to reconnect with Brett there as we work our way through the list. It's almost like they're listening when that happens. But indeed, Afghan refugees are number two on this list as we go back to number one, in which Joe Biden himself is his own greatest risk, according to Brett. Now, not everyone's going to agree with this, obviously. Brett writes that if Biden does not change up his problem-prone team and the, quote, path of least resistance, unquote, approach, to dealing with foreign matters, we're likely to see a marked increase in crisis caused by this neglect and negligence. And the refugee issue would be obviously one way to get to that. But we want to talk about China as well with Brett, if we can hopefully reconnect with him, uh, as well as Russia, because both of these are happening right now. And then, of course, we'll play this past uh, the panel. As we try to reconnect here with Brett Bruin, in terms of China, uh, more effective influence operations uh, he's writing about here 
as he was indeed responsible for managing some of these threats on the National Security Council. In those days, Beijing's propaganda, Brett says, was fairly amateurish. They tended to pull a lot of their punches. Not so much now. As we ask questions about whether the the two presidents, Biden and Xi, may have an opportunity to meet again here in the new year. And we're wondering, as we boycott at least the government side of attending the Olympics. Well, not hearing anything about Mr. Brett here or anything else for that matter, I guess we'll uh, throw this to the panel if Rick and Jeannie can join us as we at least get through the beginning of this list here. Something good must have happened to that phone, boy. I'll tell you what, you put a man on the moon. But getting a cell phone to hold in there for eight minutes, Rick Davis, is something else. I just wonder if you think he's being, being a little bit severe on Joe Biden here by referring to Joe Biden as, well, Joe Biden's own greatest foreign policy risk this year. Well, he, uh, Brett, has been very outspoken, uh, wrote a very informative uh, op-ed at the time during the Afghan withdrawal about what a disaster that was and, and, and recommended that Biden fire his uh, his uh, national security team, which I think probably was some really great advice and one way to mitigate the number one threat uh, to 2022, as he describes it. So uh, I think I think that was a good start for him. What do you think about that, Jeannie, in terms of Joe Biden being Joe Biden's greatest risk? You know, it's fascinating because I am so excited to hear you talk to Brett because I am a risk junkie, Joe, and I think about it from the concept of some of these organizations. And to me, there is some risk in terms of Biden's foreign policy team. But this is the thing about lists, of course, as Brett knows, which is there is so much time to debate about that. So, you know, I hope when you get him back, we can hear, you know, what are the other risks, for instance, the pandemic? Brett, I apologize. I don't know how long you've been back on the line here, Brett, but I wanted to re-engage with you on China. We went through Afghanistan here, but Chinese influence operations make number three on your list. And this is this is something that you say they are getting much more effective at. They are. And I remember back at the White House early days when I was working on uh, disinformation and trying to counter the threat, China was uh, still in the fairly early days of these efforts, but it really happened uh, around the Hong Kong protests a couple of years back, where they sensed both the domestic threat, but also the international danger of how they were losing some of uh, the information battles around uh, these issues. And so they've uh, accelerated their game. And I think one important thing for the audience to keep in mind They've got a whole lot more tools than Moscow does. Uh, They've got trade. They've got security capabilities. They have aid uh, on a scale that far uh, outpaces what uh, Russia can do. Uh, Putin's Arctic invasion is next. We only have 30 seconds left here, Brett. But I wonder, is there a move into Ukraine in 22 or not? There isn't. And I I think we've got to stay clear-eyed that Putin is trying to gain leverage here and not get distracted by some of these efforts to create a threat. At the same time, we've got to be strong and we've got to be uh, coordinated with our allies. Always a pleasure to speak with Brett Brun with us from the Global Situation Room here on Sound On. We'll talk to Rick and Jeannie again about it next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We spent time talking threats with Brett Bruin. One of the biggest, though, is not on his list, and that would be COVID. The news has been brutal over this past week, the last few days, especially as Omicron spreads like wildfire here. We now have a state of emergency in the state of Maryland. Talked earlier with Gwen Moore, Congresswoman from Milwaukee, where public schools are going on a virtual uh, path here, at least temporarily, as caseloads hit new highs. New York, D.C., we're seeing staggering numbers. And the president back out today with more messaging on COVID, specifically about testing. The headline on the terminal, Biden says added COVID testing capacity should ease lines, should being the key word there. It looks like, based on what we're hearing from the White House, that we're going to start having access to a lot more tests by the end of this month once the orders go through. And uh, some of the work that the White House has been doing is 500 million Uh, at-home tests get into the system. But right now, it's lines around the block for a lot of people. As we reassemble the panel here, hear what Rick and Jeannie have to think about some of this stuff. It was a really interesting kind of narrative coming out of the White House today. We heard from Joe Biden earlier, and he was begging people, please, 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 three times, get vaccinated. But the conversation that followed Rick and Jeannie in the briefing room afterward was interesting to me. Ed O'Keefe, a reporter from CBS, asked the question, big picture here, when it comes to COVID, listen to Jen Psaki speaking with him about the current state of affairs. Have we reached a point in the pandemic now where he's basically saying to Americans, accept the fact you may get the virus, but if you're vaccinated, it won't be that bad? What he's saying to Americans is uh, we know there are going to be breakthrough cases. Uh, we've had them at the White House. Uh, we, are, we are seeing them across the country and certainly elevated race, rates of cases in certain communities across the country, including in Washington, D.C. But the step that's most important that people can take to prevent uh, reduce the the potential for hospitalization and death is to get vaccinated, get boosted. Uh, he's not telling anyone to accept anything. He's just conveying to people what they can do to protect themselves. He followed on. Uh, There was actually more where that came from to ask if there's a sense the country has lost control of the virus. And this followed the president speaking directly to Americans today saying, hey, look, you might still get COVID. I'm paraphrasing. But it won't be severe illness. So, Rick, is that a problem? Because the, the president's being criticized here for kind of changing his tune on vaccines. They were supposed to allow us to rip our masks off and go party. And it's not working out that way. Now the vaccine is going to keep you from basically going to the hospital, Rick. Is that a problem in messaging? Sure. I mean, I think that this administration had great ambitions when they came to office that they were going to win the fight against COVID. And there were indications after the first year uh, into the summer that that they might have been successful. But COVID uh, metastasized into Omicron and Mm -hmm. 
And arguably, I think your point, Joe, that we've lost control of this vaccine is is actually a fact. I mean, Monday, we reported a million new cases in one day, the largest single report in world in the world related to COVID. Yeah. Now, some of it was holdover reporting on the holidays. That's right. But, but that's an incredible number, a incredible. million new cases in one day. A week after that was the global number we were reporting on. Exactly. And, and that's my point. I think you have to say that we've lost control of this. The good news uh, and, and what uh, President Biden is saying is that, that, that we're surviving that process. And a vaccine will help you, but it does not stop the Omicron uh, uh, disease, but uh, it does fortify you against it. So uh, before I think arguably we were in a vaccine versus unvaccinated uh, world, uh, certainly country, and, and now it doesn't seem to be that way. It's just, it's a COVID world we live in. Have we lost control of the virus here? And of course the White House is never gonna say yes to that, Jeannie, but what's, what's your view of reality? Well, the one million you and Rick were just talking about, of course, that's reported cases. People are doing at-home tests that are not being reported. So the actual number probably exceeds that. And, you know, the real challenge here for the president is that he gets this sort of a mixed message out there, which is imploring people to get vaccinated. And yet people are being told you're still going to get it, even though you're vaccinated, but it won't be quite so bad. That's a very difficult message to communicate. And you couple that with the frustration about test shortages and for parents of children. And I know you have a son, Joe, schools. That is a huge challenge. How can people, parents go into the workforce when schools are now closed again in many parts of the country for another two weeks? And the science on all of this, people are starting to question if what the administration is saying now is based on science or if it's based on other issues. So there are all sorts of challenges for them. They've got to get this message straight. This is a big deal, Rick, and Jeannie's right. This whole situation with the CDC, and I know they love to refer questions to the CDC, but Americans see it as all the same. It's all coming out of the executive branch of government here, and this now five-day isolation may have factored in the economic benefits of not being out for so long. People are saying, wait a minute here. Should I believe everything the White House is saying about COVID? You told me if I got a vaccine, I wouldn't get the virus. Now I'm at home in quarantine and uh, this is getting confused. Is this more of a credibility problem than a, than a public health problem, Rick? Oh, for sure. Uh, the, CD, the CDC has become the subject of probably the funniest memes I've seen all holiday season. That's right? not good. And it's not where you want the CDC to be. We've no. all been on this program for over a year talking about believing the science, staying connected to the science. But, but the CDC recommendations are almost laughable. And if you, if you just you know, Google CDC memes, you're going to see some of the funniest things you've ever seen. And, and, and you'll never want to become a meme. And so uh, I, I think this is one of the things that this administration is combating is, is that the virus is our worst enemy. They're the one, the, the virus is what's creating the problems for us, but our, our administration and, and our health departments, uh, FDA, CDC, and others have got to create the flexibility to stay with it. Mm-hmm. And I don't see them having that level of discipline right now. And if uh, if your opinion is right here, Jeannie, this is a big problem going forward. You've made it clear that if the Biden administration cannot succeed with COVID, 
There's nothing else after that. There's no number two. It's a credibility issue. It's a success. It's a getting something done issue. Uh, and it's, of course, a public health issue. But you can't get anything done until this gets done. That's right. And that's why so many people talked about the odd comment the president made the other day when he sort of suggested that there's not much the federal government can do about this. And yet that was the whole reason he ran for president and what he promised to do. And of course, the White House tried to walk that back and sort of explain what he was saying. But it's added to this sense of confusion coming out of the White House. I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to who talk just about the issue of masks. Now we're being told that these cotton masks we're wearing don't work. You have to have the N95. Well, where are those masks and why are we getting mixed messages on that? So there's got to be some consistency here. It's got to come from the administration. If they can't get their hands around COVID, there's very little else they're going to be able to claim they can do, effectively at least, as they walk into this midterm election. I feel like this is one of those conversations we're going to be playing back portions of it in a couple of months here, and I really hope it's not for the wrong reason. Uh, To finish on a somewhat humorous note here, I bet both of you guys had Blackberries. I bet you loved your Blackberry, Rick Davis. Am I right? It's one of the few times I had to go to the (laughs) hospital. I had Blackberry thumb. I love my Blackberry. (laughs) You heard today it's all done, Jeannie? Come on. The company, the company formerly known as Research in Motion, it's actually called BlackBerry now, uh, says it will no longer be expected, the software no longer expected to reliably function after today, marking the end of an incredible period of time. And I'm going to bring you back to 2007, to the U.S. Senate here, February 9th, 2007. Listen to a guy named Barack Obama. I recognize that a lot of time has been spent, uh, and understandably so, on the Middle East. Ah, uh, uh, that's sad. Um, but I, I want to maybe shift gears. I'm trying there to figure out this BlackBerry that is uh, <laughs> causing this havoc. I think, it's, I think it's the microphone system. I don't okay. Think no, it's, it's the BlackBerry. The, um, no, no, it's the uh, BlackBerry. I, 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 I want to maybe broaden the discussion in, in the brief time that I have to, to get a sense from you. For people in the radio business and for people like Rick and Jeannie who've spent far too much time in TV and radio studios, there's just something quaint about that sound. You remember this, Jeannie? I do, and and the kids don't know what they're missing now that BlackBerry is gone. (laughs) This is a very sad day, Joe. All I know is I want my keyboard back, but I'll take you back even further. I'm just going to cast out, I'm going to cast about here in our, our remaining 30 seconds. Rick Davis, I bet you had a Palm Pilot. Did you have a Palm? I did have a palm. Yes. It was uh, it was very in, and I wanted to be in the worst it was the way. Coolest toy in the world, Jeannie. Did you have a palm that you would sync with your computer at night? I did, and I just got so <laughs> excited when you mentioned it. I miss those days. Well, rest in peace, BlackBerry, and we remember you fondly, Palm Pilot. Thanks to the panel, as always, Rick and Jeannie. They know where you're coming from. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.